Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Sam Pollard, legendary director and most recently the director of the film The League, a comprehensive tale of Negro League baseball told by experts and archival footage of some of the league's legends, which hits theaters July 4th. Thank you. July 14th. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, so for those who don't know, how was the culture and gameplay in the Negro Leagues different from Major League Baseball at the time? So in the film, you have Bob Kendrick talking about, you know, the Sunday doubleheaders after church services. It really seems like true formal events. Well, here's the thing to remember. I mean, there was a whole different kind of rhythm and style to Negro League Baseball, you know, hit and run, bunt, you know, stealing bases. It was a more exciting, engaging game. And by the 20s, you know, Major League Baseball was, you know, thinking about hitting home runs. Babe Ruth is the main person. And if you thought about baseball, it was get on bat, get on, get get up to the up to the mound. I mean up to the batting box and hit a home run and go around the blocks, you know. So it was a it was a much more fun, exciting game. And you can see that. When when Negro League babe, ball players came into the major leagues, watch some of that footage of early Jackie Robinson, you know, trying to jump off bases, dancing around before he tries to steal a third base or steal home, you know, and then you lead to people like Maury Wills and Ricky Henderson. It was a much more exciting type of game, which, you know, which, you know, really for me as a young person in the 60s made baseball very exciting for me, watching Kurt Flood or Lou Brock, you know, it was a it was a game that I love to watch. And you posit in the film, uh, and I think this it comes to an amazing conclusion. You speak about you know sort of what was lost to you as well the the consequences you mentioned in the film of Negro League baseball going by the wayside. Uh, what exactly were those consequences? Well, here's the thing: this is a double edged sword. On the one hand, Americans after World War II, Black Americans were asking about being more not treated as second-class citizens, but wanted to be first-class citizens, which meant what? Which meant being part of the world of, you know, being able to walk into a restaurant, sit, not have to sit in the back of a bus, you know, not to have to sit in the in the in the in the in the rafters in the movie theater. You know, they wanted to be part of be integrated in America. What did that mean? That meant that with the advent of the height of the civil rights struggle in the 50s and the 60s, African-Americans, professionals could leave their communities and go into white communities and become part and part and parcel of this integrated world. But what did it do to those black communities that had been very self-sufficient when they had all kinds of people living in those communities, doctors and lawyers and handymen and working class people? The communities changed, you know, the world changed. And it happened in the Negro Leagues when they lost Jackie Robinson, then lost Larry Doby, then lost Monty Irvin. 
you know, there was a rush to take all those great players from the Negro Leagues and bring them into the Major Leagues, which basically destroyed the Negro Leagues. So by 1960, there was no Negro Leagues. Now, when I was growing up, the only thing I knew was Jackie Robinson integrated Major League Baseball, and that was a wonderful thing. Sure, it was wonderful, but no one ever told me the impact that that, that had on the Negro League teams. So this film tries to show you that for every, you know, every for every consequence, there's an upside and a downside. And that's and that's what life is about. So I, you know, this is, you know, it's it's not to say we want to do it do away with integration, but what was the impact that it had on, on these self-imposed communities? In your opinion, you know, you mentioned, you know, Jackie dancing off the bases, bringing that flair, Kurt Flood, Bob Gibson, et cetera, and the next generation. Obviously, MLB had a lot to learn post-integration from the way Negro League Baseball was played. In your opinion, did Major League Baseball ever fully accept that? Or or did we just lose some of that vibrancy to history when, you know, integration did occur? I think Major Major League Baseball completely embraced it. I mean, I watched the game from the 60s up into the 80s. And you think about the players I mentioned, like Murray Wills or Ozzie Smith or or Reggie Jackson or Ricky Henderson. I mean, those guys brought panache to the game, man. Willie Mays, his basket catches. They brought panache to the game. They brought excitement to the game, man. It was great to see those guys play. You know, they brought energy. They brought moxie. They brought a certain style. And you see it, listen. Adam, every time African-Americans have entered into a sport, they've changed the way the sport is played. Look at basketball. Look at football. (laughs) You know, there was one way you played basketball, and it was Bob Cousy and mostly white players. It was a different way you played basketball. When Will Chamberlain and Bill Russell and Elgin Baylor, when those guys came, they brought in what Nelson George would call the Black Athletic Aesthetic. That happened not only in basketball, that happened in baseball, that happened in football. They brought a different look approach to the games. I also so appreciated, you know, in addition to, you know, that discussion of how Major League Baseball absorbed and embraced those ideals. Just the fact that you were able to get so much archival footage, interview footage specifically with people like Satchel Paige, people who we you know, Satchel Page, Cool Papa Bell, Josh Gibson, these are basically myths by and large, but you have, you know, Satchel Page speaking to us. You have Rube Foster's assistant, you know, the, the viewers able to interact with these people. Um, I'd love to know sort of how uh, special that was for you to help those players come alive and be able to clarify their story with so much real footage. Well, here's the thing. It's always great to, to, to delve into the myths of all these players. And then they get the true story of all these players. You saw how Satchel recognized this gentleman who taught him how to play. You know, so I love this idea that we have the myth on one hand and then we bring you the reality. You know, and, and it shows you that as much as these Negro League players loved the game and loved playing baseball, it was a hard life. It wasn't an easy life. When Hank Aaron tells a story of getting a loaf of bread and some peanut butter, <laughs> it shows you it wasn't a hard life. It wasn't making much money, you know. But, you know, this is... This is part of the, my job as a documentarian to give you a sense of the history, but also give you the reality of this history and the complexity of the history. Because I'm not trying to make it one way, you know, and it's like what I was trying to say, life is not black and white, it's shades of gray. So hopefully that's what comes to when you watch this film. 
we're also as viewers, we have to accept sort of the tough part of Satchel Paige's story at the end where we do see him in the major leagues and we see him in, you know, 1948 with Cleveland, but he's not quite the player that Dizzy Dean raved about earlier in the film, right? The stats, you know, the strikeouts aren't quite there. Um, So I appreciate you adding that as well. He's an older man. I mean, you know, but he was a legend. So they gave the legend his due, you know? Yeah. I, I just vastly appreciate it. You know, players like Josh Gibson maybe don't get that major league chance, but then you show us that Satchel Page did. Unfortunately, it's he's too far past his prime. That's true. That's what that's what life was, man. <laughs> that's why Monty Irvin, you know, there's always a story that Monty Irvin might have been the first player, not Jackie Robinson. But Monty Irvin went off and fought the war. And he was older when he started, when he got into the major leagues, you know, and he didn't play as long as Jackie did. You know, so, you know, there's so many ways that that this story can be parsed. How did you feel you also included a section on Babe Ruth and sort of his merits playing in what is very obviously a diluted Major League Baseball? How do you feel about Babe Ruth's legacy ultimately after crafting this film? I would say this to you, and, and I thought Larry Lester said it well. Babe Ruth, his home run totals were only against white pitchers. You know, Hank Aaron played against all kinds of pitchers. You know, maybe not those from Asia, you know, but he played against all kinds of pitchers. Now, for me, when you ask me who the greatest home run hitter of all time is, Hank Aaron is. You know, I grew up knowing thinking that Babe Ruth was, but now Hank Aaron is the greatest of all time, you know. Barry Bonds with the asterisks is a pretty great hitter too, you know. So, you know, I look at it all like things change because the understanding of who played this game and who were writing the stats, you know, have informed the game. History is written by those who are in charge of it. So now you live in a time where this history has been changed because it's not just white men writing this history anymore. Which under-discussed Negro League storyline or which player's career stood out to you most while working on this film and telling the story? Who's, whose story were you sort of proudest to give a voice to? Oh, I think, I think it was probably, you know, I liked when Buck Leonard came on the camera and talked. I thought he was great. You know, I also thought Max Manning was pretty interesting too. You know, and I loved... I love when Larry Doby and Monty Irvin talked about the reaction and the acceptance they got when they played in Cuba or in Mexico or in Puerto Rico, you know, that they were much more embraced, you know, than they had been if they were playing in America, even though they were playing in Negro Leagues, you know. So those, it was nice to hear those stories from those guys that you don't really, you don't normally hear those stories. Yeah, Larry Doby getting a case of rum every yeah. time he homered really stood out. Yeah, what did he say? Was it something Q rum? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess that's another thing, an element that's kind of lost to history. Um, now, we, uh, it seems like Major League Baseball is going to play a regular season game in Birmingham next year at Rickwood Field. And I know they just renovated Hinchliffe Stadium over here in, in Patterson as well. Um, how do you feel about that legacy sort of being restored, hopefully for a national audience. And and how do you sort of anticipate they'll celebrate the Negro League's heritage for these games? I think it's great to go down to Birmingham and play in the Rickwood Stadium where the Birmingham Black Barons played, who really may start his career. I think that's great. 
I think that shows that the Major League Baseball understands the importance of recognizing, you know, the legacy of Negro League ball clubs and Negro League players. I think it's fantastic. Now, maybe there'd probably be some renovation in those seats that I shot down there. You know, the stands need some work, but it'll be great. You know. Yeah, fantastic. Um, now I'm a I'm also a Hall of Fame sort of devotee. Um, and the baseball hall opened its doors to a lot of Negro League figures in 2006, but at the time, for whatever reason, still did not induct Buck O'Neill. And now he is in the hall, but back then he was not in in that initial large wave. Um, Do you remember your reaction at the time, as well as sort of how your feelings maybe have changed over the years? You know, I'll be honest with you. I don't think, I don't remember having much of a reaction. I wasn't as is locked in on baseball in 2006 as I had been in the 60s and 70s and the 80s. By the 90s, I wasn't, except for taking my son, I guess he was 15. I took my son to see the St. Louis Cardinals in the late 80s. I wasn't into baseball as much by the 90s. And even though I knew Buck O'Neill had become a regular star because of Ken Burns' baseball, I, I don't think I even realized that he hadn't been in that whole group of players that went in 2006. Okay, great. Yeah, I, I've been, you know, I, I always pay attention to that class. Um, and watching the film, it also evoked other memories because Cumberland Posey was was part of that class. And he's obviously a major character in the film, but but Gus Greenlee isn't. And you really focus on how Gus Greenlee was able to, you know, reignite that Pittsburgh rivalry, especially. Um, does that feel warranted to you? Do, you? do you think both men should be honored or, or did they, you know, make the, the right decision oh, there? Well, I don't know. I mean, I think they both should be honored, but I, you know, again, I wasn't as focused on baseball in 2006 as I am today because I'm going back to baseball games I hadn't gone to in many years. And, uh, you know, I, I really don't have an answer that I think would be appropriate. <laughs> Of course, uh, no worries at all. Um, I, yeah, I was wondering also about your Cardinals fandom uh, and and you're mentioning that you're sort of getting more involved again nowadays. Have you gotten more in tune with, you know, with the game and with modern MLB, um, you know, in the, in the years before working on this film and since working on this film? Well, my fandom started in 64 because of my dad. He loved the St. Louis Cardinals. So I became a big St. Louis Cardinals fan up through George Foster, Keith Hernandez, Ozzie Smith, that period. And I guess that's the mid-80s. Then I sort of stopped focusing on baseball. But then recently, about a year ago, I moved to Baltimore. And I only live four blocks from Camden Yards. So I've gone to the Baltimore games last year. And I'm going to go to some this season to see the, what's happening with the with the pitch clock and the other things that they've added to the game. So, But, you know, I, I always enjoy going to baseball games. I love the tempo, the up and down thing of a baseball game. This way sometimes nothing happens for two or three innings and bang, something happens for another inning, you know, and somebody hits some runs or, you know, so I always love the tempo of a baseball game, even though it was slow to some people. So, you know, now since I've been working on this film, I'm sort of more engaged in baseball than I had been for quite a long time. Amazing. Well, it's good to hear. I think you're really going to enjoy uh, the the innovations of the pitch clock, what it's bringing to the game. But uh, also, I think you're just going to enjoy that Orioles team. They, they play a specific brand of baseball. Oh, yeah, super exciting. Yeah. Uh, well, Sam, thank you so much for joining me uh, again. The film hits theaters on July 14th, and I truly appreciate this conversation. The film is amazing. Thank you very much. Adam. Enjoy your day. 
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.